Welcome to day five of our look through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this great chapter about healthy qualities of public worship. And Paul's talked to us about the edification principle and the maturity principle and the unity principle, thinking about others as we worship, thinking about God as we worship. Having walked all through that, now we get to the last part of verse 33 and verse 34, and Paul throws us a real question. Listen to what he says in these verses. As in all the congregation of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Wow, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about prophesying when he says women are not allowed to speak? Is he talking about prophesying? They're not allowed to preach? Is he talking about speaking in tongues? Women are not allowed to speak in tongues? I don't believe he's speaking about either of those. In fact, the next verse, I believe, makes clear to us what he's speaking about here. We can't take this verse out of context and understand it. So you've got to read the next verse. The next verse says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So he's talking here not about preaching, not about speaking in tongues. He's talking about asking a question of your husband. So obviously, he's talking about two people, it would seem to us, sitting to each other, and the wife like leaning over and asking a question. Now, why doesn't he say this about the men? Because men never ask questions. We're too prideful to do that. He's talking about somebody who doesn't understand what's going on in church. Actually, he's talking about something that was happening then. When we read it's disgraceful to speak in church, we think, does that mean, let's just cover this before we get into the meaning of this verse. Does that mean he's talking about any speaking at all? He can't mean that. Not if you've read all the book of 1 Corinthians. The context makes clear that he's talking about some kind of disruptive speech here, even disrespectful speaking that's prohibited that's happening in the church. And to understand what was going on here, you need to understand that in that day, men and women sat in different sections of the church, often on different sides of the church or one behind the other. So when the Bible says, ask their husbands at home, it's not like she's leaning over to ask a question. For a woman to ask her husband a question in the church service meant she had to yell it out from side to side or from front to back. And this was happening in Corinth. And so Paul says, this isn't working. This isn't working because it's causing a disruption in the worship service. Now, let's get into the deeper issue here about women speaking in churches very briefly, although these verses aren't about that, I don't believe, about women preaching in a church. While Scripture says to me clearly that the senior pastor of a church should be a man, and we can get into that in other books of the Bible, it also says to me that women preached and taught in the churches. Philip, one of the early deacons, had four daughters who prophesied, the book of Acts tells us. Priscilla and Aquila taught individuals together. And most significantly, Paul himself, back in chapter 11, talks about a woman prophesying in a worship service. He's just concerned that she do so with her head covered, but he talks specifically about a woman prophesying, which is preaching, in a worship service. So to take this verse and say Paul is discounting what he said just a couple verses earlier is to not read verse 35. Verse 35, to me, makes it clear this is about someone asking somebody else a question in the church. And in this church, it was women who were yelling out the questions to their husband, and Paul says, it's disrupting the service. It's for you, once again, it's not for others. He's talking about yelling out in a service when somebody else is speaking. He's also talking about the culture they lived in. There's also some of that truth where, in that sense, there would be some who came in and saw, as we talked about in chapter 11, saw women in Christ who now had freedom in Christ demanding it in a way that was immature. And in that, people who came to worship actually would have more questions than answers. In 
chapter 8 to 11, when Paul talks about eating meat to idols and all those issues of our freedom in Christ and how we give up our freedom for the sake of others, if demanding your freedom in Christ keeps others from hearing the good news, it's not freedom you're exercising, it's immaturity. That's what he's saying here. Let me say that again. If demanding your freedom in Christ keeps others from hearing the good news, it's not freedom you're exercising, but immaturity. And sure, the women had the freedom to say, I have a question. I don't understand what's going on. To yell it out, or is that guy crazy in what he's saying? They had the freedom to say any of that. But Paul says, do that at home because it's disrupting the public worship service. Now, as we read through this chapter, Paul sums it up. Everything he's talked about, about us worshiping together by reminding us that we're not only free in Christ when we worship together, we're also accountable to God and we're accountable to one another when we worship together. In fact, in verses 36 to 40, as he ends this chapter, he talks about five specific things that we are accountable to when we come to worship together. For the worship service to glorify God, I've got to remember these five accountabilities. Verses 36 to 40. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In those verses, Paul talks about five things we're accountable to in worship. Number one, we're accountable to God's word. Did the word of God originate with you, he says? Are you the only people it's reached? I'm accountable to God's word. When we worship together, we worship preaching and teaching God's word, but also we're accountable to God's word. We cannot worship in ways that totally ignore God's word or act like I'm the sole owner of God's word. And that gets to the second accountability. The second accountability, we're just walking through these quickly, is I'm accountable to fellow believers around the world. Are you the only people it has reached? As I worship together, as you worship together in your church, what you do reflects the character of God in your church but also it can reflect the character of God around the world. So, and you've seen this in the news. If a church does some crazy thing in a worship service just to attract other people, just to get a crowd, newspapers can tend to pick that up. And actually the word of God, the name of God can be diminished in a sense in people's minds, not diminished in actuality, but diminished in their thinking around the world because they read this newspaper story and they think, oh, those crazy Christians. I'm accountable to fellow believers around the world in the way that I worship and the things that I do. We're accountable. And so, for instance, at our church, at Saddleback, there are things that we would not do in a worship service or things that we would not do in the way that we do things because we realize our accountability, not just to our own church, but also to fellow believers around the world. Accountable to God's word, accountable to fellow believers. A third thing we're accountable to is the Lord's command. Acknology says that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. Now, in many ways, that's the same thing as God's word, but that makes it more personal. Jesus is the head of the church. So in the end, it's not what idea can I come up with for worship. I might come up with 100 ideas, but then I've got to take those ideas and say, Jesus, what do you think about these? What direction do you have for us? And with many of those ideas I might have for worship, I look at those and I sense, well, the Lord's saying yes, the Lord's saying no, this is a good idea, a bad idea at this time. But there's some of those things that I look at and I realize God has commanded us to do this or God has not commanded us to do this. So for instance, Jesus commanded us to baptize. He commanded us to take the Lord's Supper. 
any forms of worship that totally leave out the Lord's Supper or baptism. Now, the Bible doesn't say you have to take the Lord's Supper every week or baptize every week. I'm not talking about how often you do it. I'm saying whether you do it or not. If you totally leave out things that the Lord commanded in worship, then it's not worship. If you look at the New Testament, the Bible says we're to sing to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's why we sing and worship. We're accountable to the Lord's command. Now, fourth thing we're accountable to is to the Spirit's gifts. Be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Be accountable to the gifts that the Spirit has given to your church. Be accountable to watching how those gifts can be used in your church. Now, with speaking in tongues, they may not be used in the public worship service, but that doesn't mean you say you can't have a prayer time with the Lord where you speak in tongues and talk to Him. I forbid you to do that. Paul says don't forbid doing that. In the public worship service, the leadership of the church has to decide what's going to happen or not. In my private time with the Lord, for me to say I forbid you to do, to practice a gift that God has given you, Paul says don't do that. Be accountable to the gifts the Spirit has given. There's a lot of depth behind that one. Because the truth of the matter is the mix of gifts that God has given into your church in many ways determines what that church does, how your church makes an impact on the world. And there's a final thing that Paul says to be accountable to. First, God's word. Second, fellow believers around the world. Third, the Lord's commands. Fourth, the Spirit's gifts. And then finally, he says, be accountable to proper order. We read this, talked about this yesterday. God is a God of peace. And one of the things you have to be accountable to in a worship service is everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Why? So the new person can understand. Why? So that's not just for me or just for us. We understand it because it's goofy and it's crazy and we've always done it this way, but the new person coming in won't understand it. That's one of the reasons you're accountable to that. The point is we're accountable. In worship, we are free, but we're also accountable. And in that accountability, we are together looking at God and who he is. So we come to the end of this week looking at worship and what it means. There's some practical things we've talked about this week about tongues and prophecy and how and when to use what. But my prayer for my life, for your life, is that you walk away from this week of looking at 1 Corinthians 14 with a new depth of worship in your life. In fact, I want to pray for the next time you're in a public worship service. Lord, I pray for myself. Pray for everyone listening to this prayer right now. That the next time we walk into a public worship service, we'd have a new sense of your presence, that you are there, a spiritual sense of your presence. We'd have a new sense of the reason that we're there, to reflect who you are, not only to ourselves, but also to the others who are around us. Lord, in one sense, we can take a worship service and think it's just an hour, an hour and a half, two hours out of my week. But in another sense, we can see that you're there. We can see that you're speaking, that you're working. So help us to see that worship service through spiritual eyes the next time we walk in and do something in us. Do something in our prayers for those around us that would not have happened apart from our faith. Use our faith in that worship service, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the great good news chapters in all the Bible. If you need some good news in your life, do not miss next week. <music> 